Good morning. Good morning. I'm back. <laughs> I don't know if I can do as good as the other guys, but I'm going to try. <laughs> good to see you today. And uh, today we're going to talk about, in this storytelling, the parables of Jesus, we're going to talk about the average Samaritan. I know you probably heard it as the Good Samaritan, but I know that it's just a story, and it's just a made-up story. There never was a a Good Samaritan or average Samaritan. It was a story Jesus told. Just a story, but it has some meaning behind it. I'm going to try to get to the meaning here in a minute. But uh, didn't uh, these guys do good in the last couple of weeks? Didn't Teresa do good last week? And uh, Sharon, Sharon gave her testimony. If you didn't get to hear that message, you need to dial it up and, and check it out and uh, bring it up on, you can always get our stuff on Facebook and uh, you can watch sermons if you're out of town or something. But we're very glad to have you today. <clears throat> I want to get right into the message uh, because I have a tendency to go longer than these other guys, but they're catching up with me. See, they're catching up. I want to talk about the average Samaritan and I'll, I'll you'll understand why I said that. Um, this parable, the parables are told uh, for a reason. Uh, it had come to a time in Jesus' ministry where most people were only looking to find fault in his teaching. They had already, their, their heart wasn't right, and their, uh, you know, if you'll remember, I think one of the first sermons on the, on the parables, I did this thing about uh, your heart. And I said, in the word heart, there's the word hear. And if your heart is not right, you don't hear real good. You don't hear what God's trying to tell you. And so what Jesus decided to do, they were people coming and they were in the crowd. Uh, and they were in the crowd for only one reason, is to disrupt what he was teaching. And uh, to, uh, to just cause havoc. And they would, they would send uh, different ones, like they sent this guy. He was an expert in the law. You know what an expert is? It's a drip under pressure. <laughs> it's any, anybody 10 miles outside of their town they live in. They're considered an expert. Uh, well, this guy was considered an expert in the law. And he had probably been sent there. He'd probably been rehearsing for some time how he was going to go about uh, trapping Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing everything, he knew their hearts. He knew what they were in the crowd for. And so he decided to talk and to teach in parables. That's why there's so many parables. He taught in parables in these made-up stories. Because if he dealt with anything dealing with the law, which he knew the law, but they were going to have objections to the law. And so Jesus talked about these stories that they had nowhere to go on. And uh, he would take these stories. And uh, at the end of the story, a lot of times they'd ask questions. And he would turn around and ask them a question back. Jesus is very smart. Tell your neighbor that Jesus is very smart. He's very smart. And so he, he did it. For this reason, he could tell the story. Those that, whose hearts were right and they had a hearing ear, they would hear the parable. It would go to the heart. And sometimes he would tell stories and even like uh, the disciples like, 
go get it, man, get it, you're doing good. And then when he got back to the, to the room, they'd go, hey, what was you talking about today, man? <laughs> we don't even know, man, you were like, well, they're in left field, but tell us, please tell us what you're talking about. I mean, you, you got us all together to talk about planting seed in a field, you know, we don't get it. And he goes, yeah, I don't know you, I don't get it, but I'm going to help you get it. And so he normally told these parables because he knew if their heart was right and, and they had a hearing heart, a hearing ear, they would understand. So he, he would speak, Jesus would speak, and to speak, you know, you, on, on a different level. And on this different level, the heart, if the heart is not tender towards the Holy Spirit of God, you won't even know what he's talking about. That's why in any given service, people that come to church with a, uh, a heart for God, they walk out here, oh my God, that was the best sermon ever. And then there's some goes, I don't even know what he's talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about today, you're just not with it spiritually. I'm just telling you, because it could not be the speaker. I mean, the, the speaker is going to bring it today. <laughs> so if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's something wrong with your heart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want to make that disclaimer right there. <laughs> the heart really is the issue. It really was the issue there. It was the heart. If their heart was not right, they didn't understand Jesus. The heart of the matter was the heart. And so he said, I'll speak to you now on this other level, on this heart level. If the heart is tender toward the spirit, you'll get it. The heart. And the heart of the issue is that the heart of the person. I think if Jesus were here today, the modern exchange may go something like this. A scientist came to Jesus and stood up and said, Jesus, I have a question. Okay, right. Are people predestined or do they choose their eternal life? And Jesus would say something like, well, you've heard it said that there are no stupid questions. But I say, sure they are. There are stupid questions. <laughs> and the scientist, he would ask the scientist to answer this question. He would say, oh, scientist, is light, is it a particle or is it a wave? And the scientist said, well, so, well, both or maybe neither or we don't really know. And I don't know that we can know for sure. And Jesus would say, yeah, you go do that. You go, you go do that. Well, I, I don't know. And he would say, go do that. See, it's very typical to the predestined question. All these things in the Bible, we're never going to know until we get there. When we get home, we can ask Jesus a lot of questions. i got a bunch of questions for Jesus. One of the questions I want to ask Jesus is, I, I'm not going to challenge Jesus on the people that he chooses. Because he's got a right to choose anybody he wants to choose. But what I want to ask Jesus is, why does he choose to choose the people that he chooses to choose? Because if, if it was me, there's some people that I would not choose to choose that he chose to choose. <laughs> See? Did you write that down? <laughs> <laughs> so today we're basically we're in the story of the the good samaritan and it was this kind of exchange that he was dealing with that day they're talking about and we're looking at the good samaritan and it starts he starts introducing the characters in a certain way and uh, jesus is very smart and it said there came 
one day an expert in the religious law. So I want you to see this, this law. You know, they, they would wear these garments like this because, you know, they were very dignified people. And if you go there to the day, they had their prayer shawl on. And they probably had their prayer shawl on because, after all, you would want everybody to know that you just came from prayer meeting. You just been up to the wall and, you know, they didn't have well, but you was in there and you were doing your thing for God. And so there was this expert in the religious law stood up to Jesus asking, Teacher, what should I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? What should I do? And, and, and you got to love Jesus because he was patient with this man. But I know that Jesus was probably thinking, how stupid is this expert? What part of, what part of inherit does he not get? The only thing you got to do to inherit eternal life is somebody's got to die. And if they willed you to have it, it's yours. You don't have to do anything, brainiac. But Jesus did not say it like that. And so his question contradicted himself. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And there it comes back to there's no stupid question. No, they are. Because to inherit something... You don't have to do anything. That's the thing about grace and about salvation. To inherit something, someone has something of value. They will, they will will this thing to you. And when they die and you get it, you don't have to do anything. By the way, Jesus says, okay, fine. You're the expert in the law and you have the authority and you, the one that read the Torah... And what does the Torah say about inheriting eternal life? What do, what do you think the Torah says? And so, like every good Jew during those years, they knew by heart two passages of the Old Testament. Even an average Jew knew these two questions, these two verses of Scripture. And it was probably two of the greatest commandments in the Old Testament. To love the Lord your God. So he asked him, said, what, what does your law tell you? What does the Torah tell you? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. As in Luke 10.25. And so one day an expert in religious law stood up to Jesus to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a stupid question. If he was that expert, he should have knew that. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And Jesus said, right, do this and you'll live. The next question, the guy doesn't sit down. You know, he goes, okay, I, I didn't get him on that question, so I've got another question. Okay, wait a minute, let me think about this for a minute. That's what I do. I, I, I love... You know, I, I, the Lord is so pure, I'm so close to God, I want to ask you another question, if you got time. And so, he, he asked him another question. The second one, okay, the, the first one, but it didn't work, but the second one, all, all you can think of is in the light of this, love my neighbor as myself. So there's that, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. So now he's thinking, okay, I, I, you know, and we find in the scripture, as you study this, he further asked questions because he was seeking to justify himself. He said, well, what is the second part of that? I said, love your neighbor as yourself. So he goes, well, who is my neighbor? 
who is my neighbor. And he did this to justify himself. Have you ever felt yourself justifying yourself? You start justifying yourself. Like, a, yeah, I wasn't doing that, but the reason I wasn't doing that is because I had a really, really good reason. Sometimes you ask people, like, why wasn't you here last week? Well, I wasn't here last week, but I, uh, 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 you know, they have all kind of good reasons. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And here Jesus is not playing in this little guy's sandbox. And he's not using traditional definitions of who your neighbor is. He tells a story, what we call today a parable. And in this story, there's a trap set. Don't ever try to trap Jesus. You'll get trapped. And the, the story is the Good Samaritan, which you'll understand why I call it the Average Samaritan. I'm going to be sharing from the Living Translation, Luke 10, 29. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 30 through 37, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him up, and they left him half dead because the road. Now by chance, by the road, and now by chance a priest came along. And the priest probably had his garments on, like, like, everybody see this? I've been to prayer. See all these things on the bottom? Those are the prayers I prayed. I've been to prayer. I, I had to be ceremonially washed, and so, you know, I want everybody to know. Didn't say he was going to the temple. It said he was coming from the temple. So, I mean, he was very, very spiritual. He had all the garb on to let people know, like, if anybody's questioning how spiritual I am, look how spiritual I am. I'm very, very spiritual. I've been in prayer all morning long. And so he gets down there, and he sees this man. And, and it said when he saw, I want you to get that word, he saw the man lying there. He crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant was walking by. A Levite walked over. And, you know, he probably had his garb on too, you know, the Levite walked over. And the, he saw the man lying there. He also passed on the other side of the road. So this is where the story gets interesting. He tells him here, then a despised Samaritan came along and he saw the man lying there and he felt compassion toward him. And going over to him, immediately the Samaritan soothed the wounds with olive oil and with wine and bandaged him. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him all night. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins and said to him, take care of this man. And if there's a bill higher than this, then I'll pay it the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus said, which of these three you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus said, you want to make a trap for me? I made a trap for you. <laughs> so... And you know what, the, the, uh, his audience was a Jewish audience, is who he was talking to. That's why he was being careful and he was, he was hedging his sermon, you might say, or his teaching in a parable. And they, if they come down on the parable, he goes, hey, it's not a real story, I just made it up, it's a parable. How smart was Jesus? They'd ask him a question, he'd turn around and ask them another question. 
you know, like, guys, you need to learn. Your wife said, have you taken out the garbage yet? And you go, is there garbage? <laughs> you, you try to come up with another question. And then they're going to set a trap, and you're going to fall in it. Then <laughs> you're going to take the garbage out anyway. So, I mean, just telling you. The answer to the question was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The answer comes when Jesus takes this man out of his academy and he brings him to this definition in the real world, in the real world that real people live in, in the real world where police live and firemen live and ambulance drivers and teachers and people that live out in the real world. He's asking the question, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And, um, you know, the, these two guys, first one, the priest, then the Levite, they're going to be my neighbors. That guy laying there that had been beat up, he's thinking when he sees him coming down the road, he's been beat up, he's been robbed. He's thinking, that priest right there, he, 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 he will be my neighbor. I mean, surely he's a good church-going guy. Look, he's got his whole prayer garb on. He's probably just came from prayer. His heart is soft. And look, I've got hope. Here he comes. The priest is coming. And then the priest goes to the other side of the road. Then he goes, oh, well, something must have been up. Then he, and you know, we could make excuses and we could try to excuse that priest and go, well, he probably had been, uh, had already been ceremonially cleansed and he was prepared and he had offered prayers and now he was going home and, and, uh, and so if he were to be defiled, he'd have to go do all that over again and, you know, they would go and then they'd go back to their little villages and towns and, and continue on the work of, of God. And so maybe he had a reason. Then the Levi came by and he was like a helper in the temple. And the same thing, he crossed to the other side of the road. He, they were busy. You know, sometimes we get busy and we, we don't have time. We don't have time. Have you ever noticed anybody that's ever needed help? It comes at your most in, inconvenient time. I mean, always. It's at our most inconvenient time. And so he was thinking that somebody was going to be their neighbor. Somebody was going to be th their neighbor. I just believe somebody will come along and be my neighbor. But nobody came along. The first person walks by. And he's thinking, he's going to be my neighbor. And then the second one walks by, and he's going to be my neighbor. And Jesus is telling this story, and then he says, and then Jesus says, a Samaritan walks by. Top of the list, no. <laughs> he's not even on the list. For the Jewish audience, the Samaritan was, they called them dogs. They were half-breeds. They had, they, had, they had kind of left the faith. They had been... Uh, you know, during one of the times they, they went and they, uh, they began to be half-breeds, intermarried with other people. They didn't meet the quality. They, they didn't really even have a place in the temple. You know, you can get in the back, but we really don't even want you here, to be honest. You know, you half-breeds. They were so bad about this, even Jesus' disciples Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And they go, hey, man, you're on your own, man. I'm, going, I'm not going. And he goes, yeah, you, you need to go. We're, we're going through Samaritan. And he met the woman at the well. 
You know, I, I found many times in my life when God takes you out of the way, he does it for a purpose. And so they had such racial hatred towards these people. The Samaritans. They were dogs in their sight. They were half-breeds. They didn't like them at all. Jesus knew that. But what happens in the story is the Samaritan is the Samaritan that sees him lying on the side of the road and has compassion toward him. And then he does something about it. He does something about it. He immediately does something about that. He didn't just pass by on the other side of the road. He actually does something. Yeah, I just, I just don't think I'm getting through to you today. I want to kind of just change the story up. And uh, let's, let's take the story, and let's take the story to about 1840. 1840, uh, can we get some 1840 music, the Wild Wild West? It was a long time ago, out in the Wild Wild West. One of my cowboy friends was traveling through one of the passes. And he was attacked by a bunch of bandits. Terrible. They stole his horse. They killed his cows. No, that's on a movie. I forgot that. <laughs> and they, they robbed him, beat him up, and left him for dead the road well then the mayor of Dodge City comes he's the guy everybody knows he's the mayor he's the guy with a big white hat he comes along and he sees the cowboy that had been beat up by the bandits the mayor of Dodge City I ain't got time for this he walks on the side of the road and keeps on going And later that day, one of the pastors of Dodge City comes along. He's got him a white hat too. He's going to be like the mayor. He comes along, the pastor of Dodge City, and he sees the guy. He's all beat up. Behind some of them hills there, there could be some more people that could attack me. So he decides, I'm going to pass on by on the other side of the road. Those were the good guys. They had the big white hats. Then, as the story goes, it's my own parable. <laughs> hey, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. It wasn't in the Bible. Jesus made it up. So, it's in the Bible now, though. So then there was this Native American come along. They called them Indians. Indians. The Native American came along and he saw the cowboy beaten up beside the road. And the Native Indian got down and said, The sun is going down. I got to get you back to the hotel, Hotel Six, Dodge City. <laughs> and so he gets down and he takes care of the guy and he, he pours in some Jack Daniels in the wound. <laughs> I guess that's what they had back there. I don't know if they drank wine in the well, Wild West. <laughs> they pour it in. And he gets him and he said, we're going to put him on my horse. He puts him on the horse and he walks. 
into Dodge City with the beat up cowboy. And he goes up through the bar, over the bar, up to where, well, a lot of bad people stayed up there. And he went up there and he said, I want to buy a room for my cowboy friend who'd been beaten up on the pass. And so he said, here, I'm going to pay for two weeks. And if anything's owed when I come back, I will be willing to pay for it. Then he said, in his story, it went down in the history of the Western novels. Who was the good person in this story? And they go, well, it was the guy that showed mercy. Because we're not about to say it was the good Indian. You get it? They did not want to admit that there could even possibly be a good end. Jesus could have pried him, and he might have got the story that uh, was probably the average Samaritan. I don't know. But see, it was beyond them to even give any credit to that Samaritan. And, you know, to bring that story closer to us in our lifetime, you know, for those people back then, the good Indian? Are you, are you, are you joking me? The, the good Indian? But we, we see the racial bias, we see the, the pride, we see how they had felt about this. And uh, none of them cowboys wanted to say it was the good Indian that did it. And in this story, Jesus could have told the story differently, if you think about it. Jesus should have told the story like this. This is how he could have won the audience. He, wasn't he trying to win the audience? The guy that was nearly dead, the guy should have been a Samaritan. It would have been good. I mean, like, yeah, somebody got a Samaritan. Yeah. About time somebody beat up some of them Samaritans. So if he'd have made the Samaritan the the person that got beat up, then the next part of the story would have been really neat. The, 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 the priest come by. He'd just come from prayer meeting. He'd just come from prayer meeting. He's come by, and he sees the guy. And he, he calls for the Levite, and they get out, and they, they help the guy, and they take care of the Samaritan. And, you know, and then he's all good, and then Jesus could say, now, who was the good guy in the story? And they go, well, it was the priest and the Levi. They were the good people in the story. That's the way Jesus could have won friends and influenced people that day. It would have been a big thing. For him to do that, to, to make the Jew, you know, in, in the old cowboy, it was always the guy with the white hat won, right? You tell the story, but Jesus didn't tell the story that way. He didn't tell the story. He took the most despised, despicable Samaritan, the one they called dogs, the one they would even go out of their way and go around. They wouldn't even go through Samaritan. And he made the Samaritan the, the hero of the story. How many think that made Jesus really, really nice? It made him really, the Jews really love him after that. The story should have been the good, the good Jew. But it wasn't. It was the good Samaritan. He would have really gained some audience that day if he'd have called the story the good Jew. Do you know in the Bible it's not even called the good Samaritan? That may be the little caption they put in the, in the, no, it's not put in there. As far as the Bible's concerned, there's no, that's a story. So maybe that, Jesus made that story up. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. 
You know, most of the time that when we talk about, we've got a, a, an agency in hand that talked about the Good Samaritan. We, they do stuff for people. They help people. And, uh, but I think we missed the basis of the story. The story was not just about doing good for people. It, it was about their, their very attitude. It was their very attitude. And, and if, you, if you get the story, he asks the question, what, what, what is the question? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor? And you know where I talked about heart, the first part of heart is here. If you hear the word of Jesus, a lot of people come week after week and they never hear, evidently. If you hear, it don't take long to get in your heart. The seed gets in your heart if you hear God's word. The more you introduce yourself to the word of God, the more it gets in your heart. And, and so you must have a heart that sees. You must have a heart to see. The, the story, Jesus framed the story perfectly. The priest went and saw, the Levi went and saw, and the Good Samaritan saw. The, the story, only thing he did is changed out the name of who went, and they went and they experienced the very same thing from the very same angle. They all saw the same thing, but they didn't all have the same thing happen to them. They didn't have, you know... Something happened to the ones whose hearts was right. We find that the point is, and the story is, it's not what you know. See, they knew the law. They could quote the law. He said, the expert in the law. So, well, here's what the law says. I mean, I, I knew this. Jesus, I knew this when I was a little kid. I mean, we have to have this memorized before we're 12 years old. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we find out that Christianity is not what you know so much. I mean, you can know it and still not be doing it. You can know it and not be doing it. It's not what you know as much as the condition of your heart. A trip to Israel, when you see these Jews standing at the wall and you go in there and you see them actually reading reading the law and quoting the law is almost intimidating like man those guys got to know i mean they're actually reading from actual manuscripts and they're reading it and it's it's amazing i wouldn't want to get in an argument with them them guys have got it down man they got it all memorized they probably got the first five books of the bible totally memorized but got psalms and ecclesiastes all memorized i mean they know so much they were questioning what Jesus knew. These people that knew, it wasn't a question whether they knew the law. They knew the law. The law had never had an effect on their heart. And it's not what you know as much as the condition of your heart. It, do you have a hearing heart? Do you have a hearing heart? Do we come and you know, a lot of times I think we sit in a service and we hear what we want to hear. And if we hear something we don't want to hear, we start justifying ourselves. Well, you don't understand my 
situation. If you understood my situation, you would not, you know, like, I don't get so close to home. You're getting too close to me on this story. So I, I think people like to go to big churches where you don't get to know people very well. When you get in a circle with people and you look them eye to eye and you're like, yeah, you're lying. You're not, that is, that's not the truth. I saw where you were at the other night and you wasn't. That's not where you were. It gets really intimate. It's not what you know as much as the condition of your heart. Because what you are, you know, Jesus is talking about the be attitudes. It's what we are being, what we are. The be attitudes... What you are determines what you see. All three of those that passed by had two eyes. They saw the same thing. He framed the story perfectly the same. The expert in the law saw. The Levite saw. And the Samaritan saw. I had a little comic thing I thought about putting on here but it, it wasn't the quality wasn't that good but somebody had taken and it was a guy acting like Jesus had his disciples around and he was going uh telling the story and he goes there was once a good <laughs> there was once a good Samaritan and they said Jesus what are you laughing we we know some Samaritans they're pretty good I mean they're not all bad and it was just very comical because in the story, it was like, it's hard for them to believe that the disciples didn't know of any good Samaritan. But sometimes we feel that way, that there's none good. But Jesus, he was using this in reverse. He was telling this story because they didn't believe there was any good Samaritans. They felt like they're the good ones. They knew the law. They were experts in the law. But their law had never penetrated their heart. They had ears, but they could not hear. They had eyes, but they could not see what they needed to see. Jesus tested his disciples. He would take his disciples, and you read more than once in Scripture where Jesus, he took the disciples, and it said they went, and they saw, and they had compassion. What would have happened? What would have happened if Jesus would have just taught them a bunch of Bible verses. Well, he already had a group of people that knew a bunch of Bible verses. But Jesus would take them. And I'm sure there's sometimes that Jesus took them and they saw and they had no compassion. But as Jesus kept working with their heart. Getting in their heart. He said, we need to get some food and feed these people. They've been sitting out here listening to the word all day long. Well, Jesus, you know, our, but we don't have much of a budget. I, when I, Jesus said, found a little boy with some fishes. There was times that, that the disciples didn't have compassion. But eventually, before Jesus was through with the disciples, he said they went and they saw and they had compassion. You know, we're living in a very hardened world, and it's very easy to get to a point we have no compassion for people. Where's the compassion? And so he asked this question. So what you, what you, because of what you are determines what you see. Heart's not right. You don't see what Jesus sees. You don't cry over the things Jesus cries over. 
you don't hear. What you see and what you see determines what you do. What you see, if your heart's right and you hear, it determines what you do. That was the distinguishing trademark of this neighbor. This neighbor. He saw and he had compassion. He had compassion over people that hated his guts. He had compassion over somebody that he probably shouldn't even had compassion over. See, the neighbor is seeing with compassion because the health of his heart is right. How long has it been since you wept over an issue? My, my basic temperament is I'm melancholy and, and inclusion. That may not mean... But if I'm around too many people too often, it, it, it tires me. Like you sanguines can be around people 24 hours a day and it's like it revives you. And so, you know, uh, one of the things that I asked God a few years ago is I wanted to try to reach my neighborhood. And anytime my neighborhood had anything going on, I'd, yeah, I'll be there. And me and my wife has went to it, and we've got to know some of our neighbors. And over a period of time, we begin to develop a relationship with our neighbors, and we have them, how you doing? I, you know, and we see them different places, and they're the neighbor. And you go, well, I don't know anybody in my neighborhood, and I live on the street. But what if, what if we looked at this thing as a neighbor differently? We, we done a study one time and we started studying why people come to church. You know what? The study, and we were all like, I don't know if that's true or not. This study from this church, one of the fast growing churches in America, they, they had studied this and they said that most people come to church because they're hurting inside. Something's happened in their life. They're needing answers. They're needing answers. They're, they're needing to find. They're hurting. They've, they've got a situation they're going through. You know, I don't know if that I really believe that to start with, but more and more that I've pastored, the more and more I believe that to be true. And so if that's true, and we took every service, and, uh, you know, something that I think we should have done a long time ago, but people that serve in the military, I mean, it's kind of caught on in America. You find like somebody served, didn't matter what war it was in, but they, they would tell those people, thank you for your service. I think it'd be good at Grace Community Church that we started, if we're going to take this message practical, and we're going to take it from 1840, the cowboy thing, to today, I think whoever opens the door for you on Sunday morning, we go, thank you for your service. The person that makes your coffee and sets up some refreshments out here, thank you for your service. Person that does your sound and your lights and not thank you for your service. That should be that should be the thing that we're the most mindful of. We thank you for your service. The other thing that I think we need to be mindful of, we're going to bring this message home. I, I think we we should really think about this thing that. Maybe our, our neighborhood, if God is sending people here to church, then I maybe should consider that area where I sit in the church and the people on that roll, they should be my neighbor. They should be my neighbor. And maybe every Sunday, one of the things that we should do is make sure all the way around us, 
that we've welcomed maybe some very desperate hurting people to the house of God that day. Thank you for coming to Grace. You should treat everybody around you like they're your neighbor. Like we're glad you're here today. Because you never know how bad somebody's hurting. You never know. There's people sitting in our service that they're sitting in service maybe for their first time and their spouse not sitting with them. They're hurting. You may have people sitting in in their service. They're sitting here alone because they're no longer married to someone. You may have somebody here that's going through. But believe it or not, people come because they're hurting. And a lot of times if we're not careful, if if we don't say, am I a neighbor? They walk out still hurting. We should love people. Love them. This story, I love how Jesus just gets away and he starts telling these parables because they were waiting to pounce on him like they know the law. I know the law. I know every bit of it. I got it memorized. You just say one thing out of the way and I'm going to pounce on you. I'll tell you I'm an expert in the law. And I think Jesus could say, yeah, but I'm an expert on the heart. And your heart is so hardened. You don't even have any compassion for the Samaritan. You don't have, you don't, you don't have compassion. I tell you what, I, I've been praying for God to give me more compassion. To be a, a better loving pastor. To care and show. People don't, we used to say that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I, I honestly believe there's a lot of my staff's better at it than me. I've often questioned is it just because they're more spiritual or is it more their temperament? Is it more what? I don't know. One of the most important things you'll find in the scripture, though, is is love. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'd like for the worship team to come on up. But In this story, there's so many different ways I could have went, and I thought about going in this story. But the biggest thing was to try to bring it current. Whether we had some fun, whether it being a cowboy time and it being an Indian, or whether it goes like... I mean, we don't really know much about Samaritans or Jews or Levites, you know. There was a cowboy coming along. He was wearing Levi's, you know, clothes, right? (laughs) But something that relates to any time period is the love of God. Love of God. There was some very religious people, but they didn't have the love of God. Jesus, he talks a whole lot about the love of God, the love of God. The love of God should be shown abroad in our heart. We should love people, love people, love people. Dr. Arnold, that uh, we do this National Christian Counseling Association. Never forget the old guy. There's a lot of things. He just rambled. and He's an old guy and his wife, Phyllis, and it seemed like he just rambled. But you know, when you really get down to what he wrote about and what he taught about, his big thing was in, in, in every class, it was even on the test, 
What's the main key to counseling? What, what's the key? The, the, the real key to counseling? And oh, he, he, he would say, Dr. Arnold, he'd go, love the people, love the people, love the people. That's the key. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you love them. You know, some people go, well, we're going to get the church together and we're going to have a prayer meeting and we're going to start praying and praying and praying. And I'm sure after we pray, we'll have some donuts and coffee. That's not the way Jesus rolled, folks. Jesus took the disciples and he went out and he showed them hurting, desperate people. And when he went, they went and they saw. And when they saw, they had compassion. One thing I, to me, this church has the most awesome graphics. We have a a wonderful, comfortable building. We have some awesome speakers. Awesome singers. Dedicated people in the nursery and the children. and Awesome church. You say, well, Pastor, what can we do better? What God convicted me of this week, we could love better. We could have compassion better. We could care more. We should salute people that are serving and say thank you for your service. Because when it all comes down to it, people don't care how much you know. They don't care how religious you are. I don't want to be a religious church. People are walking away from religious churches left and right. I've heard all that before, and it's never changed anybody I know, so I'm done. I'm out of here. The church has got to go back to the primary principle of Jesus Christ. That's love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how many knows how much we love ourselves? Your challenge this week is to go out and love somebody more than yourself. That's a big one there, folks. I don't know if we'll get there. I don't, I'm going to try, but it's going to be hard to love somebody more than myself. We, we all, we're in love with ourselves. Love your neighbor. But you know, we're waiting for somebody. That neighbor may show up at Walmart <laughs> in line in front of you. But a lot of times that neighbor is going to be right in here sitting around the coffee table with you. Sitting on the roll with you. Let's all be more conscious about going up to people and say hello my name is so and so I'm so glad you're here today if there's any way I can help you I want to help you I think if our church would turn on to this love of Jesus Christ we couldn't hold the people because people are dying for love they're dying to be loved they're dying to be heard they're dying they, they so much you know what greater way for the disciples to show the love of Jesus Christ than loving the most despised person that they had been taught to despise. They will know you're my disciples by your love. And so Jesus was teaching them how to be the greatest lover of all. And you know, they barely, I mean, after the whole story, they may have got out. Well, he was probably the average Samaritan. I don't know. I don't know if I can go as far as say he was a good Samaritan. And Jesus could have said, well, he was better than you. 
He was better than you that was the expert in the law. He was better than you. There's people that love better than I do. But I tell you what, these parables has got to me, it convicted me. I want to be a better lover. I want to love people far from God. I want to love people that don't. I want to love people that may never come to this church ever. I want to love people so much if they come here and what they need is from another church. I'm going to say, you know, I really believe with your background, you need to be over here at this church. Because my love for them is greater than my love for this building to be full. I want to show love. And I tell you what, this good Samaritan thing really whooped up on me. Love people. Love people. Love. Dr. Arnold was right. The key to any kind of counseling or any real Christianity is love the people. Love the people. Love the people. Can we bow our heads? Dear Heavenly Father, we've had some fun with this passage today, Lord. But I thank you for it. I thank you for your word today, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would help me be a better lover. Lord, there may be several things when people come to this church they may not even like. They may not like how we do something, this or that, the other. But they keep coming back because they say, I've never been to a church that loved people like that church loves people. I've never been to a church where I feel like they love the hurting, the helpless, like that. If there's anything that this church could be known for, I pray to God that it's known, we're known by our love. How we love people, how we treat people. God, help us be better at it is my prayer. God, if there's any here today, Lord, that is needing that pat on the back, they're needing that expression of love from one of their neighbors on their role, I pray, Lord, that before they get out of this building, they will be known. They'll, be, they'll know that we love them and we're ready to hear. We have a heart to hear and pray for them and care for them. We ask it today in Jesus' name.